Merry Christmas. Good. Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9. For our guests or any of you parents who forgot that the children are going to be up here today, there are coloring pages and crayons in the back. Uh, There is also, you know, a room back there with the doors closed, but a speaker if you need to you know, go back there with the kid. There's also rooms empty downstairs, so feel free to make yourself at home. Um, Mr. Turner has a really comfortable office next door. <laughs> All right, Isaiah chapter 9. We begin here. In one sense, the meaning of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas is about a lot more than presents. Christmas is about more than just gifts. Uh, all the kids are like, why do you have us up here? Wait a minute, this is bad news. Uh, it's, it's about more than the gifts, but in another sense, this is the only thing Christmas is about. It means more than gifts, but it's all, it also only means gifts. Uh, many Christians think um, they're on safe spiritual ground, uh, criticizing all the consumerism of Christmas, uh, which is why we like this is one reason why we like Charlie Brown, right? On the one hand, we like Charlie Brown because Linus recites Luke and we love to hear Jesus, you know, be broadcast. So we love that. But there might be another reason we love Charlie Brown, and that's that we can kind of sneakily get our criticism in, right? We can sneakily kind of, feeling justified, looking at Charlie Brown, criticizing the consumerism, criticizing the commercialism, and, and we can feel a little justified like kids you know, listen to this, you know, kids pay attention to this, right? That's kind of, you know, when his sister says, um, she says, Christmas is getting all you can get while the getting is good. And we see kids like that's, you know, that's bad. That's that, you know, she, she's portrayed as bad here. Or, you know, Snoopy is decorating his house, his little dog house. And Charlie Brown's like, you know, what are you doing? Like, what's all this about? Why are you decorating? And hands him the ad, and it's like the meaning of Christmas, and it's like the super spectacular, uh, you know, Christmas light contest winner, money, 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 money. And Charlie Brown's like, oh, even my dog has gone commercial. And we're like, see, kids, like this, this, this is what happens at Christmas. This is bad, and don't be like this, right? And so the message of Charlie Brown is kind of like, don't be like this, be like this, <clears throat> and that. In one sense, that's right. In one sense, that's true. Commercialism problem. Greed is a problem at Christmas. It is a Grinch that will will still Christmas. Yet, yet, even here, and especially here, talking about gifts, talking about presents, maybe even especially here, we must be aware that it is easy to strain out the gnat and swallow the reindeer. I knew Bert would like that one. That was for you, buddy. For the rest of you, that's in the amplified translation of the Bible. If you don't know, we're talking about the Bible, you know, literally it says camel, but I did reindeer for the holidays. The meaning of Christmas, (laughs) plow ahead, is really gift. It's grace. It is giving. Here is the way Christmas is described in the most famous verse of the Bible. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God gave us Jesus. He gifted Jesus to us. This is the way the Apostle Paul describes it in this wonderful little Christmas exaltation that he has in Second Corinthians 9.15. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible 
gift for his immeasurable and I don't have words even to describe gift. The heart of Christmas really is gift. It's God graciously giving us his son. It's God gifting Jesus to us. Christmas is the overflow of God's generosity, God's kindness, God's grace. Now, our text today is one of the passages that teaches us this most clearly. It's a great Christmas passage, Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. A familiar passage, uh, one that you've given on many a Christmas card and received on many a more Christmas cards as well. But I would invite you to come into this passage with fresh faith today. Fresh eyes to see, because when we come to the, the truth of Scripture with fresh faith, there is always fresh grace and fresh glory for us. So, let's look at Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. Please follow along in your copy of Scripture. These are the words of God. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. In our text, there is a repetition that is very important to note. There is a repetition that's very significant. Two little words that get repeated, and they underline the grace of God. Those words are, to us. To us, or as King James so memorably put it, unto us. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is giving. The meaning, meaning of Christmas really is gift. It's grace, and realizing this, seeing this, you can see that gift is the hinge on which all of history turns. Seeing history through the eyes of Jesus Christ, having a, a Christ-centered view of life, of history, you can see gift is really the hinge on which all of history turns. Gift is at the center of it all, and grace is really the point of it all. Grace is the meaning of all of this. And this is because our God is gracious. God is generous. God is kind. He so loved the world that he gave his only son. God gave us his only begotten son, not because we deserved it, not because we deserved it. You didn't, you know, last week, Merry Christmas card, you know, it was don't be like Ahaz. Uh, and some of you saw the, the, the graphic going around on Facebook and, and shared amongst us for that. Thank you, John Potter. It was wonderful. Uh, so, you know, this week's Christmas card is you don't deserve it. <laughs> you know, Merry Christmas. Uh, you know, guests in our midst, you don't deserve it. Like that's, that's the beginning of the Christmas message. You don't deserve it, but God has given it to you anyway. You don't deserve it, but God has gifted you his own son. 
The world did not deserve God's love, but he gave it anyway because God is love. He is kindness. He is the God of all grace. 1 Peter 5 verse 10. So here's, here's history. Here is, here is history for you. In the beginning, God gifted us a perfect world. God gave us a very good world, right? Like I like to say, he gave us a garden of yes and a tree of no, right? A whole garden of yes. There's a, he gave us a whole garden of blessing and enjoyment and yes. And he said, go and enjoy it. There's one little, one little no so that you know I'm Lord and you're not. One little thing so you can live by faith. It's a perfect world. And yet we somehow promptly wrecked the whole thing, right? Like we promptly, uh, in our insolence and in our rebellion, we broke it. Parents, maybe, you, maybe you've had this where you gave your kid a Christmas gift. You bought them that nice Christmas gift. You bought them that you know, expensive Christmas gift. And you gave it to them and you said, be careful with it. You know, Take care of this. And then what? later that day or later that night, they promptly broke it. Right? They promptly broke it. And that is, what, that is what happened with us. God gave us a perfect world. God gave us a great gift and we broke it. He gave us a perfect world. He gave us a perfect marriage. He gave us a perfect job to do in the perfect circumstances in which it was all idyllic. And yet we wrecked it. Somehow we managed to break it all. But God being who he is, God being not, you know, not wanting to do something, but being who he is himself, the God of all grace sets out to repair it. We broke it, and he sets out to repair it all. He'll repair the cosmos, and while he's at it, because he's the God of all grace, he'll give it an upgrade. Scripture says he'll, he'll make everything better. It was glorious, now he's going to make it more glorious. Because that's the kind of God he is. You can read about that in Romans 5. That the work of Jesus, the second Adam, would far exceed the damage done by the first Adam. So God intends to repair everything we've broken and he's going to make all things new and he's going to make it all more glorious than it was and he's doing this because he is the God of all grace and he's doing this by the gift of his own son, by the giving of his... In the beginning, God made a perfect world. We broke it, so he gave us a new beginning. He gave us a new beginning through the second Adam, his son, John chapter 1. God gave us his perfect son to fix the world by bearing the sin, the penalty of our sin, to bear the curse of our sin. He would bear it himself. Christmas is the story of God's giving his son. It's the story of his grace to us. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. I'd like to direct your attention to two points today about this son. Two points about the son given to us. And the first we're going to look at is his humiliation. His humiliation. We read in verse 6 that this son, this son of God given to us who is Jesus, will be called, among other things, mighty God. He's going to be called mighty God. He'll be called almighty El all right, E-L, Hebrew, creator God. Jesus is the one who spoke the cosmos into existence. John says in his gospel, uh, which was read or prayed earlier, that in the beginning Jesus was, was with God, Jesus was God, and he made everything. He made, 
John says, all things were made through him so that without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is a creator. He is Almighty El, the mighty God. He made everything. Jesus made you. Jesus made me. If something is made, Jesus made it. Jesus is the one who made all the world. Yeah, Hebrews 1-2 says Jesus made all the worlds. <laughs> Go look into the sky. He made all the worlds. He made all the worlds. And verse 3, Hebrews 1-3 says that he sustains them all by the power of his word. He makes them all and he holds them, he keeps them in existence by the power of his word. Now, interestingly, if you go and study physics, if you go and study physics and you study the, you'll study the nucleus of an atom. Okay, the nucleus of an atom, right? There's a, there's a, in the nucleus of an atom, there are neutrons and there are protons. Okay? Neutrons are neutral. Right? No charge. They're just neutral. Neutrons. Protons have a what kind of charge? Anybody? What's that? Positive. Yes. Now, what ha- if something's got a, a neutral charge, what does it expel? What, is it, what does it shoot off? Nothing. It's neutral, right? It's, it's, it's nothing. If it's positively charged, what does it expel? A positive charge itself, right? It's an expulsive or repulsive. It's pushing things away. So, question, you know, physics question. How does a neutral something and a positive something, which is pushing, how do they stay together? How do they hold together? How do they stay? How does something pushing something else away that has nothing else to pull it back, how do they stay together? Ask a physicist. They'll tell you, we have a name for that. We have we have a name for that that what holds them together. It's called we call it physicists would say I'm not physicist but they would say we call it the strong force. To which I say you've watched too much Star Wars. <laughs> but they do they really do they call it the strong force. What holds these two together? Well you know the strong force. Oh okay I like that. What is the strong force? Well we don't really know. Where does it come from? Well we've got theories but we don't really know. I know what it is and. I, and it has a name. It's not the strong force. It's Jesus Christ. And he sustains all things by the word of his power. He is the strong force. He is almighty God. He holds all things. He made all things and he sustains them by the word of his power. If it's created, Jesus created it. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Colossians 1.6 Jesus is almighty God. He is the creator God. But we must never forget that though Jesus is God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Philippians 2. For unto us a baby boy is born. The humiliation of our God. The creator taking on created flesh. Jesus, Almighty God, the creator of all the worlds, and yet he humbled himself to be born a man. Our passage says, unto us a child is born. And not just a man, but a baby. A little 20-inch, 7, 8, 9-pound child, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lied in a manger, 
Jesus, the strong force, Jesus, the sustainer of all things, humbled himself to be sustained by nursing from a virgin's breast. The mighty God born to us a man. He humbled himself and took the form of a servant, as it says in Philippians 2, formed in the likeness of men. So that he, why? Why? Why formed in the likeness of men? So that he could die. Jesus took on a body. He took on a body so that there would be something to nail him to a cross. In his essential being, God is immortal. God dwells in unapproachable light. He is almighty. He is the strong force, which means he cannot be killed. He cannot die. And so Jesus was formed in the likeness of men. He took on a body so that he could die. The immortal became mortal. This is the miracle of the incarnation. And this is the grace of our salvation. This is the wonder of Christmas that makes the celebration and the glory of Easter possible. Jesus was born a child so that he could have a body he would grow up in and eventually be scourged, scourged for you. So that eventually he could grow up and be killed for you. Jesus had to be born a man so that he could become mortal, so that the immortal God could become a mortal man to die for you. This is the miracle of the incarnation, and it is the grace of our God. In an essay on miracles, C.S. Lewis uh, taught that miracles, the miracles Jesus performed, and 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 you know, primarily the miracle of the incarnation, were God's way of speaking to, it was God's way of saying, you know, my glory is, is written at large all over creation. My strength, my power, my wisdom, they're everywhere. And yet men miss it. And yet men deny it. Men can't see it. Men won't see it. And so the miracles interrupted life. The miracles brought in a concentrated way the, the power of God for us to see in a Whoa, there it is. I'm missing it all the time, but whoa, there it is. The miracles got our attention. He, he said that they, they, they were God speaking to us at a different speed and in a smaller scale so that we could read, so that we could hear, so that we could understand. So what is the incarnation saying to us? What is the, what is the miracle of the incarnation? What is, how is God speaking at a different speed and in a smaller scale to us through the incarnation? This is what he's saying. You aren't able to hear my voice. You aren't, you aren't able to hear me through what I have made. You don't know who I truly am. So watch this. Watch me wear creation like a garment. More than that, watch me, the creator, become a creature. Watch me take on the limitations of a man. Watch me shrink myself. Watch, watch the Almighty God shrink Himself to the size of an embryo. Watch me shrink myself to the size of an embryo, and then I will grow inside a womb until I burst forth from it as a babe. Then I will keep growing in wisdom and stature, no less, until I am big enough to walk among the sons of men. And through my suffering, I will continue to grow in righteousness until I am big enough to die for all man's sake. Big enough to be a sacrifice for all men. Big enough to fill the whole tomb of death. And then, when I'm in 
the womb of death, I will burst forth from it in new life. I will burst forth from it in new life, and I will be born in the hearts of men. And I won't stop there. I'll just keep growing in the hearts and minds of men. I'll keep growing until the whole earth is filled with my glory. Friends, this is the gift of Christmas. It is the gift of God's own Son given to us so that we can see God, so we can read God at a different speed and in a different light. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Christmas is the gift of God's own Son, but given to us in a particular way. The incarnation is God revealing him to us, himself to us at a different speed and in a smaller scale. One we can understand. One we can relate to. One so that we can understand he's not just gracious because he says so. He's gracious because what he has done. He has revealed it to us. He gave us his son. And not only is he gracious, but he's great. What kind of great? Like galaxy creating great? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's galaxy creating great, but he's greater than that. Because he's the kind of greatness, the kind of great king, the kind of great Lord who will also be your servant. He's not just the greatness that creates the galaxies. He's the greatness that will become a servant to you. Friends, behold the wonder of Christmas unto you. A child is born unto you. A son has been given. So what do we do with that? That's a great truth. It's a wonderful truth. What do we do with it? How do we apply it? Well, how do you apply a great Christmas truth like the incarnation? The gift of God's own son. I know. Let's give gifts. Let's give gifts. This is, there is a theology behind gift giving, right? There's a theology, but we, we don't just give gifts because it's a fun thing to do. There's a theology behind the gift giving. We give, like, right, we love because God first loved us. We forgive because God first forgave us. We give because God first gave to us. And in that spirit, children, if your parents are okay with it after the service, I have candy canes to give to you. Okay, so come up to me after the service because now is the time for gift giving. Now is the time for gift giving. Now, this is exactly where the world gets it all wrong with Santa, right? This is right because he's this guy who's gonna he'll bless you if you're good and if you're bad, you get coal, right? Like the scary guy comes down the chimney and if you're good, you have nothing to worry about. He'll leave you gifts, but if you're bad, and so everybody... You know, be good. You know, it's a day before Christmas. I hope I'm really good. You know, like that. Well, that's just the secular gospel. That's just the secular gospel with some tinsel on it and and a bow, right? Like, be good enough. God says, "You ain't good enough." Here it is. And parents, that's the way we give gifts too. That's the way we give gifts. You know, you look at your kid in the eyes and say, "You ain't good enough." <laughs> you ain't good enough. Here it is. Why? Because God has done that for me. I ain't good enough. I'm not good enough. And God gave to me. And that's why I give to you. And that's why I give generously. And that's why I give lavishly. Because of God. And parents, get this. We do this, and and to one another, because we are speaking at a different speed. Right? We're always loving. We're always gracious. We should always be serving. We should always be loving. 
But gifts are the time we speak at a different speed. And we say, let me show you. Let me show you my grace to you, which is God's grace to me and to you. This is why we give gifts. We give because he first gave to us. We give because he first gave to us, and we give in a particular way. The incarnation helps us to understand why we give, but it also helps us to understand how we are to give. And so let me tell you a little bit more about the theology of gift giving. Um, there's a way in which you should choose gifts. There's a, you know, the incarnation informs not only why we give, because of the grace of God, but also informs how we give which I realized in first service, I really should have preached this a month ago, like when you were starting to think about, or even a week ago, some of you were still gift, you know, gift shopping. And so I, I should have told you this, you know, sorry, I failed you as a pastor. Maybe next year I'll do the same thing, um, you know, a month earlier. But the incarnation informs how we give, right? Because it shows us that gift giving comes, gift giving comes from us becoming a servant to others. How do you give gifts? You become their servant. So you don't just give the... It's not the fruitcake that you can give to anybody. That's not a good gift. It's not the fruitcake you can give to anybody. You give them the thing that they really want. Or you give them the thing that really shows your grace and love towards them. You choose the thing that shows that, right? So it's the fishing gear he's really wanted, right? It's the fashionable handbag that just goes so perfectly with her favorite dress. It's the funny socks your teen is into, And moms all say, but I have enough socks already, and they don't have matches. Yes, but this is the grace of God in your teen's life. You will buy him still more socks, and with Spongebob on them or whatever. The funny socks your teen is into, or the fairy princess dress-up set that your little girl adores. Why? To show them, to speak to them at a different speed, and teach them the grace of God. And it needs to be said, good gift-giving also requires humility. It also requires humility to understand them, and it requires the form of a servant to really get them, and it will cost you, just like the gift of Christ does. A good gift is going to cost you time to think of it, or effort to make it, or money to buy it. A good gift is going to cost you, because that's what love does. That's what love is willing to do. And we learn all that. We learn all that from Christmas. If Jesus is Lord of life, he's Lord of everything, including our gift giving. So consider the humility of God's own son. He took the form, he took on the form of a servant for us. He was born in the likeness of men for us. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Consider the humility of Jesus who came down to earth to save us so that he might lift us up. All gift giving is given in a sense to lift others up. And so the the gift of Jesus Christ does. He, He comes down to lift us up and exalt him with himself. To exalt him with himself. And so we turn to look at the final, or the second point, which is also the final point. Good news for some of you. The second point, which is his exaltation. His exaltation. Someone in first service told me, that was really two sermons. That was really two sermons you packed into one. And, uh... Merry Christmas. I, I just, I'm just trying to give abundantly. I mean, and so they said amen. So good. Okay, precisely. Okay, so his exaltation, precisely because Jesus took the form of a servant, precisely because he was born in the likeness of men, born so that he could die, taking on flesh so that there could be something to crucify, 
Precisely because Jesus humbled himself in that way, God, we're told, highly exalted him. God exalted Jesus. Jesus came in grace, humility, and sacrificial service, and God loved that. He said, that's exactly who I am. That's exactly what I'm like. That's perfect. And God exalted him. We're told in Philippians 2, he gave him, he bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God gave Jesus the highest name, which includes all the, all the names itemized in our list. It includes all the names itemized in our passage in Isaiah chapter 6. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He has wonder, he gives astonishing counsel. He is the wisdom of God. He is the true understanding, Proverbs 8, 4. So listen to his counsel. Listen to his counsel. You say, what counsel? What counsel should we listen to? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me give you an example. Revelation 3, verse 18. You can look it up later, but I'll read it to you. Revelation 3, 18. You say, Jesus, you're a wonderful counselor. What counselor would you give me? These are the words of our Lord. I counsel you. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So what is Jesus' counsel to us? As we approach a new year, as we head off into 2024, right around the corner, and we're thinking about New Year's resolutions and we're thinking about goals for the new year, what is Jesus' counsel to us? Well, he says in the beginning, gain true wealth. Gain true, don't think about, don't mistake earthly wealth or earthly success for what God is offering. Gain true wealth from Jesus this year. Look to gain true wealth for him and, he says, put on clean clothes. And every mom said, Amen. Jesus says, put on clean clothes. Wear the robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Oh, man. That's good news. You get to put on the robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's... You know, I'm, I'm feeling a hallelujah coming on. Right? Like the chorus. Like, Jesus died for your sins. The penalty is gone. There is therefore now no condemnation. That's good news. That's worth preaching right there. That, that, that would sustain us... For all our days. Right there. But you know what else? I feel like a, I feel like a holiday salesman. But there's more. <laughs> it does even, he does even more. It's this. Christ's righteousness is also yours. Christ's righteousness. Jesus not only died your death in your place for you, the death you deserve to die for your sins, but he also lived the life you should have lived perfectly and he gave it to you. He, so let's, you know, let's bring this home. Let's, in our home, in our home, we've been talking this week about the sins of grumbling and disputing. Philippians 2. There, there's some of the Grinches that steal Christmas, right? Like the grumbling and the, the, the complaining and the arguing. Yeah, and it's not just the kids, right? It's not just the kids. Jenny does it too. So, 
can't be mad because I've just been saying you got to be gracious. You got to be gracious at Christmas because Jesus is gracious. She does very well. I grumble and complain, truth be told. So we've been looking, we've been looking at Philippians 2, do all things, do all things without grumbling or disputing. You know, the law of God in some way is, is cold. It's hard. You know, you've heard the saying, facts don't care about your feelings. Neither does God's law. Do all things. You mean all things? Yeah, all things without grumbling or complaining. You mean even though my husband still has not fixed that drawer that I've been reminding about for the last nine months, I'm not allowed to complain or argue about that? That's right. Exactly. You mean when I'm sitting down with that family member who's saying those political things that I can't stand, I'm not allowed to grumble and complain in my heart? That's right. You are not allowed to grumble and you're complaining in your heart. To which you say, if you're honest, to which you say, but I can't do that. That's the, whole, that's the cold, hard truth of the law, right? I can't do that. I can't not grumble. I can't not critique. I do grumble. I do dispute. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to Jesus who not only died for your grumbling and your, the penalty that you deserve to pay for all that grumbling and arguing, but for your sake, he also never grumbled or argued. Even though, even though he grew up in an imperfect family, even though he was reviled, Jesus grumbled not. Jesus grumbled not in return. Even though he had, even when he had a crown of thorns pressed into his head, even when he had nails hammered through his hands and feet, nevertheless, like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like sheep before the shearers, so he opened not his mouth in grumbling or complaining. Jesus never grumbled, he never complained, and he did this for you. He did this in your place. So that, listen, now get this, so that, so that it's not just that his righteousness is accounted to you. It's not just like up in heaven, God's like, all right, you know, carry the zero of Jesus over to you know, them over here and we'll account it to them. It's not just that. He actually gives it to you. It's yours. It's, it's yours. Like if, you're, if, you're, if your wife gives you a sweater for Christmas, and you go out, and they say, hey, you know, where'd you get that? And you say, well, my wife gave it to me for Christmas. You know, they don't say, well, that's not, that's not really your sweater. You know, like, that's her sweater. She bought it. She gave it to you. And you would say, yeah, she gave it to me. And so it is with the righteousness of Christ. So it is. You have the righteousness of Jesus. So, the question becomes, what do you do with that then? Okay, great, that's good news. What do I do with it? How do I apply, you know, what's it mean to put on the clean clothes, the right, white robes of Christ's righteousness? Well, for one, it means stop relying on your good works. Stop relying on, stop trying to be a good enough person. You say, well, I'm not doing that. We say, yes, you are, because you're saying you're not grumbling and complaining, and we all know you are. <laughs> We all know you are sinning. We all know you struggle. So stop pretending like you don't so you can try to pretend to be a good person. Stop trying to be a good person. Just own up to your sins. Own up. You don't have to try and be better than you are. You don't have to try and be a good person 
Because Jesus has already been good for you. Jesus has already done it for you. That's the first application. And the second, the second means then you can be, you can grow like him. You can be, it means sanctification is totally grace motivated. You already have it. You don't, you don't have to get it. You already have it. And you say, yeah, but I grumbled. Exactly. But you already have his grumblelessness. That's not a word. You have his not grumbling. It's yours. And so sanctification, sanctification, grace motivating sanctification means you can grow with, you can grow up in Christ without a gun to your head. You can grow up. It's not, there's no pressure. You're not being forced to do this. You already have it. So put it on. But I, but I took it off. Put it back on. But I threw it across the room. Go get it and put it on. But I threw it in the trash. Get it out and put it on. It's still white. It's already yours. You have it. So grow up into it. Become who you are in Jesus Christ. Jesus' counsel is put on clean clothes and anoint your eyes with salve so that, salve, salve, so that you might see, so that you might see God and see His mercy, so that you might see the true state of humanity, the world as it actually is, but so that you can also see yourself and as you actually are, so you may see the actual state of your marriage, so that you might see the actual state of your relationship with your children or children with your parents. And the reasons they are the way that they are. Anoint your eyes with salve so that you may see not just the problems, but if God gives you the healing sight that is his to give, you see the solutions as well. It's not enough just to see problems. If all you see is problems, listen, if, if, you, if you are a fault finder, check yourself. Because you have more, you have more in common with Satan than you do with God. The devil specializes in fault finding. You understand that? The devil specializes in fault. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is very good at finding faults and pointing them out. And all his ways are darkness. All his ways are pointing out problems so that there is self-absorption and despair and no light and no help and no hope. The counsel of the devil is to focus us on the problems and only the problems. But the counsel of Christ, the wonderful counsel of Jesus, is to give us the problems and the solutions. He comes along and says, yeah, you've got that problem. It's actually worse than you think it is. The problem's worse than you think it is, but my grace is more than sufficient. My grace is even greater. And so here are your solutions. Here is the counsel of my word. Here is my grace for you to do it. Here is the white garment you can put on so you can do it without a gun to your head. My grace is greater even still. Why? Because he's mighty God. How can he do this? Because he is mighty God. The God with us is almighty God. He made all things. He sustains all things. He is the strong force. But the strength of his might is not measured in the galaxies he can make. The strength of his might is not just measured in how much he is willing, how much he is able to do out there. The strength of his might is measured in how much he was willing to be tortured for your sake, to suffer for your sake how low he was willing to go to serve you. 
that he would be willing to face all the horror and darkness, the humiliation and torture of the cross so that he could rescue you. He is mighty God, but it's not just the might of his strength and power. It is the might of his love and salvation. He is mighty God, mighty God and everlasting father, everlasting. You may that may put a kink in your hose. Wait, wait a minute. He's the son of God. How is he a mighty father? How is the one who, you know, a son is given? He is everlasting father i thought he was the son how he's the I'm like i thought we were trinitarian wait a minute here you know like something's not working for me well this is what it means by father it's really simple uh a father is the head of his home right we've talked about this father is head of his family and jesus is head of his family he is head of the church and scripture teaches us that being head of the home does not mean my way or the highway right it doesn't mean my the you know that gets you rebuked here now, that's not what we're after. That's not headship. It's not my way or the highway. Headship, headship of a family looks like, first, representing your family before God. Priest of your home. Representing your family before God, just like Job did as he made sacrifices and prayers for his children. Headship looks like joyful responsibility for your family. You take responsibility for them. Headship looks like rule, but it looks like ruling with love and grace, with truth and justice. And Jesus is everlasting father like that. Always representing, always taking responsibility, and always ruling us in grace and truth. And finally, Jesus is prince of peace. He is prince of peace, and so it is that through him, peace will finally come to our sorry world. He brings hearts, or peace to our hearts, and he brings peace to this world. The prophet Isaiah was given a vision of darkness. He saw the current darkness you know, around the table this Christmas, a lot of us are going to be talking about politics, a lot of us are going to be talking about the state of this world. It's a, it's a vision of darkness. It's a vision of darkness. We can see, just like Isaiah, you know, we don't have, we might, we see things just as well as Isaiah did in some ways, right? We see a vision of darkness. Isaiah saw current darkness, but he also saw a coming light. He saw a coming light. Isaiah saw the darkness of the world, but he saw a great light, a light from Galilee of the Gentiles, and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This will be done. This thing will be done, and it will be everlastingly done because it will be done by the zeal of of the Lord of hosts. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And what does his zeal look like? What does the zeal of God look like? What does the zeal of God manifested to us look like that will bring about this kind of peace? What does his zeal look like? It is the grace of God given in the gift of his son. You want to know what the zeal of God looks like? Extravagant and scandalous grace that will give even his own son for us. So think about this. Think about it. This is the conclusion. Here we end, right? Christmas, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God did not arrive like the 82nd Airborne Unit. Right? It did not arrive like an invading army. The kingdom of God arrived as a baby. It came to us born as a child. The zeal of the Lord 
is the gift of his own son. The zeal of the Lord is a son given. And he's already been given. Given as a baby, but given unto death. And given then a name above every name. All this God gave for you. All this he gave for you. So, what do you do with it? What do you do with this Christmas truth? What do you do with this? Repent. Repent and receive his gift. Receive his Christmas gift. This is all you have to do. Receive the, receive the Christmas gift. Receive it anew in your heart. Receive it, at, you know, that was Scrooge's conversion. I will honor Christmas in my heart and I will honor it the whole year through. Repent and receive Christmas anew. Receive Merry Christmas. I feel like, what's his name? And it's wonderful. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Covenant of Grace Church. Jesus is the Son given for you. Merry Christmas. Jesus is wonderful counselor. Merry Christmas. Jesus Christ is Almighty God. Merry Christmas. Jesus is the everlasting Father. Merry Christmas. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And of His reign and of His rule, there will be no end. The zeal of the Lord has done this. And it's all grace. It's all by grace. And it's all a very Merry Christmas gift to you. If you will receive it. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we do thank you for the gift of your Son. God, it is, it is too good to be true. It is scandalous grace. Lord, it, <laughs> it blows us away. And yet, we can, have, we can have heard this story from, for so long, so often, that Lord, um, it just becomes common. It just becomes, it becomes that old story. Lord, we pray that the grace of Christ given for us would be scandalously fresh to us today. God, open our eyes. Lord, I pray for those here who have never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They've never received the gift of Christmas truly into their heart. Uh, I'm reminded in Revelation where you say that you stand at the door and knock. You stand at the door and knock and any who hear and open the door, you will come in and be with them. Lord, I pray that those here today who have heard the gospel preached, who have heard the Christmas message, this is the knocking of Jesus Christ on their heart, on your heart. I pray, God, help them to receive it. Help them to open the door and be merry with you. You come with good tidings of comfort and joy. And for all of us today, well, I, you know, Lord, I pray what, what Scrooge said, and I said it a minute ago, you know, help us, help us to honor Christmas in our hearts and to honor it the whole year through. It is the giving of your Son. What grace is this? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.